Hello, Barry. We are back uh, with this live stream business. We kind of did a bit of a tester last week, and I think we were quite surprised at how good it actually turned out and how much of a win it was, uh, certainly in my in my case, with the amount of time that I saved having to edit last week's episode. I mean, obviously, we re-uploaded it because we realized that the sound levels weren't quite right. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, in terms of teething issues, there's always going to be something but I think we actually did pretty well considering it was our first time. Uh, and yeah, I had a pretty decent episode. I'm surprised that was the only thing, Chad, because we tried so many new things. All the technical details, trying to figure that out. It was very, very interesting. But like you said, we both had huge smiles on our faces afterwards. <laughs> it saved us a lot of time and effort, yeah. which is really cool. And so episode number two that is live streamed. So if you're here with us, welcome. It's super cool to be here. Yeah, definitely welcome. Um, I mean, I do hope that we get some uh, some comments coming through today that we can actually interact with people as well uh, live, uh, which would be cool. But nevertheless, we're obviously going to go through our usual episode. Uh, Barry, how's it going? How's your week been? I mean, this week's been pretty quick for me. I can't believe it's already Thursday. Uh, we've got <laughs> loads to chat about as well. Um, it's been quite the week, hasn't it? It really has. It's been chaos on my side. I've had painters painting our apartment, which has been loads of fun. That's why I'm in this secret undisclosed location where there's no paint fumes. Um, so it's been a bit of a chaotic week. I haven't really touched sides, but that's a good thing, I suppose. Busy is always better. How's yours been? Yeah, also good. Uh, also busy, um, you know, being in the finance world. It's obviously another month end. The month ends always just keep catching up with us, don't they? You move on from a year end into a month end. There's always something going on, uh, but that's but that's fine. That's all good. Uh, been making a bit more of an effort with exercise this week, uh, which, you know, we always talk about, Barry, but I went for a lovely run this morning. I actually went for a walk last Amazing. night. I had this cabin fever. I had to, had to leave the apartment. Um, and <laughs> even though it was dark and I had nowhere to go, went out for a nice walk, no complaints. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's good. It's good. Uh, I mean, I believe we're going to have some, some rain and maybe snow again this weekend. Uh, but other oh, than wow. that, it's been a good week and uh, I'm keen to chat about some stuff with my good mate, Barry. <laughs> Let's do it, Chad. Let's jump into the week that was. The week that was. So I think let's kick off this week that was uh, with, I guess we're going to talk about COVID and it's been a little while since we've spent a bit of time on it. I mean, I know we, we did briefly chat about uh, vaccines and the EU and all that kind of stuff last week. Uh, but obviously, because we had updates coming from both of our sides of the pond this last week, and I guess for anyone who's new here, I'm in London in the United Kingdom, barriers in Johannesburg, South Africa. Yes, I know we both have South African accents, but uh, I'm also, uh, I'm South African, but I'm, I'm here A in recovering London. South African on that side <laughs> of the pond. Yeah. A recovering South African, exactly. Um, and yeah, we as I said, we both had updates uh, on our respective sides of the pond. So we had uh, a few briefings uh, on the side, the, the daily briefings things but I wanted to touch on uh, the specific one that was uh, by Matt Hancock earlier this week and uh, obviously talking about where we're at with vaccines Barry we were talking about uh, and obviously you're going to keep you're going to kind of update me on where South Africa is with, with vaccines uh, but now in the UK as we speak uh, more than 10 million people have received the jab and just to sure. kind of put that into perspective it, it, it's a crazy kind of thought uh, to think that a year ago and it's been now a year. I think last weekend we had the anniversary of the first two COVID cases in the UK. So it's been a full year. We now have a vaccine and uh, I mean, that's been rolled out into more than 10 million people's arms, um, which is which is pretty insane. At the same time, last week, we also had some new vaccines being announced. Uh, and like we said, uh, it's like being at the bus stop and all three buses rock up <laughs> at the same time. Uh, we're not talking about three now. We've got so many more. Um, so the UK is actually placed in any even more orders uh, on this. I think it's called Volneva was uh, th this new one that was, uh, you know, that popped up. And uh, we've ordered another 14 million doses of these, which again, and I think importantly to, to state, because we obviously spoke about the EU stuff last week, these are going to be locally produced. So, so that is obviously pretty key. And obviously, as we have mentioned, we've ordered more than, the, than the, there are people to vaccinate. So the kind of strategy here has been uh, to, to kind of protect UK citizens first, of course, and then what he said is be generous to the rest of the world. Um, and and he, he kind of took this no regrets attitude to vaccines. I kind of felt like I watched 
what is that movie, Barry? I'm I'm sure you can I'm sure you can uh, you know kind of jot in here. There's a movie. Which one? Is it called We're the Millers? Something I mean, like that. That is a movie. We're... I mean, what scene are you referencing here? <laughs> <laughs> no regrets. There's a guy who had like tattoos on his arms. Oh, uh, it was Jennifer yes, Anderson. yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it is We're the Millers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the UK is kind of you know taking that aboard, and we're doing No Regrets attitude to vaccine which which i think is a, a right approach kind of order more than than we need to um and talk about this vaccine rollout as as a global effort as well which i think is is pretty important i mean he also stressed that the astrazeneca contract obviously the one that's been in the media eye because of the eu because of all that kind of stuff um is and it's actually quite astounding and i don't think it's something we've spoken about before barry so maybe we should touch on this a little bit is the fact that the astrazeneca contract is available at cost so Around the world, wherever you're ordering this vaccine, it's available at cost. Uh, the the last article I saw about it is kind of roughly three pounds for a dose. Um, and so, in just just in terms of like philanthropy or or whatever you want to however you want to word it, uh, for for a private company to have done something like that and produce vaccines that are they are selling at cost, I think that's quite uh, quite amazing. Especially in the world of big pharma, which has been known time and time again to kind of fleece these prices and drive them way up. I mean, there's been lots and lots of drama around these ginormous pharmaceutical profits that come from generic medicines that could be worth a lot less. And so it is a kind of backing that trend and it's really cool to see. But I think in this once in a lifetime generation pandemic and this very, very difficult time everyone's going through, it's a really, really strong step for humanity. And yeah, I think it's I think it's amazing. Talking about the UK, I've read so much about how well like the distribution is going that side. And so I think mm. the UK are really setting the bar very high for what it looks like to get these jabs in as many arms as possible, as quickly as possible. Possible. And so I think there's a lot to learn from what they've done, and hopefully the rest of the world's going to follow their example. The U.S. is also vaccinating at crazy rates, and hopefully yeah. that's going to come to to more and more countries as we, we start to get this thing under control. I must say, this week has felt been the first week in a long time where I felt like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. It feels mm. like the world is kind of getting a handle on this, and we don't want to get, com- get complacent because there's still strains yeah. out there, and yeah. we still not we're not at the end of the road yet. But it's a really, really good sign for the world, and hopefully the UK is the first of many. Yeah, hopefully indeed. I mean, in that kind of crazy role that, that we've been, been playing the UK in getting the jab into so many people's arms, and, and that is really quite astounding. Uh, and I think everyone must be really quite proud of themselves in that, um, is also the role that the UK is playing in genomic sequencing. Hopefully I said that right. Mm-hmm. That is actually <laughs> analyzing all the various strains of covid uh, rather than just testing them and getting, a, a, you know, getting a, a kind of flashback of, of how many people have the virus, actually looking at which strain it is and how it's mutated. And that was something that Matt Hancock stressed as well, is this idea of uh, increasing the amount of genomic sequencing uh, that's that's being done here. And I mean, just in terms of all the restrictions that were taken against the UK earlier in the year when this new strain was identified, it was quite an interesting discussion as well, which I don't think we had, Barry. This idea of being kind of, you know, being hard done by because of the fact that you're actually being transparent, because of the fact that you're releasing the information that you have, um, you're actually, you know, people are actually implementing measures against you for doing that. Yeah, definitely. There, there are real incentives to keeping quiet. And we saw that a lot with China's numbers right at the beginning is that they were very, very kind of, covering over all the bases, making sure nothing gets out. And like you say, you, you get unfortunately get punished for that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, I, I've heard lots of similar discussions when we think about the South African variant that's so-called. A lot of the reason it's called the South African variant is because we figured it out and we actually were, yeah. like I said, listen to the world, this is what's happening. And exactly the same with the new UK variants as well. So unfortunately, that's the way that the world works when it's in panic mode and we're trying to kind of solve this problem. Um, but you kind of have to do what's what's right. And hopefully scientists can step up and, and follow in this example and say, listen, obviously we're going to pay the price for this. Our tourism industry is going to struggle. We're not going to be able to get people in and out of the country. But it's it's for the greater good. It's for a much more important cause to be able to like sequence these things properly. And the amount of development in, in genome sequencing has been incredible. I mean, the price yeah. has come down by 
orders of magnitude, thousands and thousands of percent. Um, a lot of it is AI and machine learning behind the scenes is crunching through all this data and trying to figure out like what's going on. And I've read some fascinating articles about some of these vaccines. They had the right sequence like a year ago now. Like mm. right at the beginning, they sequenced it immediately and had an idea of what the vaccine was going to look like. And obviously it takes time to get to all the clinical trials and figure it all out. So there's been so much developments in that that hopefully that kind of gives us a much better chance for future pandemics and future viruses that we have better tools at our disposal to kind of get there right at the beginning and sequence them as quickly as we can so we can try and come up with a plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do want to talk, Barry, uh, briefly about something else that they were speaking about and it was something that featured quite heavily in the press too. Um, and I found it fascinating because for the first time, you do kind of feel like you're living in a bit of a movie. And that is talking about the essay strain. Um, and basically, through all this genomic sequencing, they've been able to figure out that there were 105 cases of the SA strain in the UK. And in this press briefing, uh, just detailing those out, obviously, they, they've tried to trace those cases back to South Africa. And what they've managed to find is that 11 of those cases have no traces to South Africa. And this is obviously quite worrying because it means that it's spreading in an, in itself, um, which is problematic, of course, because we're in a lockdown. So how is it possible to have spread? Uh, I mean, are people just not complying with the rules? Uh, but nevertheless, it, it, those, you know, those cases did have no traces to South Africa. And so what they've done as a result, which I do find, like I said, it makes me feel like I'm in a bit of a movie, is they've narrowed down the postcodes of all of those 11 cases. And if you live in any of those like boroughs or postcodes, there are going to be people literally knocking on doors, and they've already started with this, uh, doing random testing, but on a massive scale to try and see how far gone this thing actually is. It really is a movie. It really, really is a movie. And we were chatting about that. What is that movie you're dying to see, Chad? That 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 pandemic movie that's potentially too soon? Yeah, I think it's called Songbird. I think it's out now. Songbird, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that movie has, one of the trailers has one of those things where you've got yeah. these guys in hazmat suits trying to break down doors to get to people inside. So it, it is a kind of scary moment, um, but it's a kind of proactive proactive um, action that could actually really work if it goes well. If you can really find what's going on behind those scenes and why you're not able to trace those as effectively as you could, you might be able to save lots of lives going forward. So yeah, it's a weird one. I certainly would be terrified if I live in one of those postcodes, like waiting for that <laughs> knock, waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting. Um, that must be quite a, a scary moment. Um, but hopefully we can get ahead of this thing and kind of um, get get a hold of these extra strains. What is what is good to see is that these vaccines do have some efficacy to these strains. So that's yeah. quite good to see. So it's not not one hundred percent, but there's some efficacy there. And so hopefully we can figure out these these new strains pretty quickly and uh, get a hold of them before they go rampant. Okay, so while we in the UK are busy stressing out about the SA strain, um, I mean, I tuned into the family meeting last week. Uh, talk me through it. I mean, as I said, while we're here stressing out, it seems like you guys are just having a nice fat jaw. <laughs> yeah, South Africa's family meetings are always a good time, whether we like it or not. And uh, the whole world sits down in front of their TV to listen to Uncle Cyril tell us what's going on. Yeah. And this family meeting was actually a rather positive one. Um, I was I was a bit remiss last week. I, I kind of made a comment that vaccines were far away from South Africa, and I said months away. And Cyril went and announced that we had our first million vaccines who landed at Oa Tambo International Airport mm. that day. And so they showed footage of him actually on the air, on the on the runway, kind of picking up those vaccines and seeing it come in from a, a operation in India. So cool. we now have a million of the AstraZeneca vaccine that's now on its way to Bloemfontein to go and get tested. Um, and then it's going to come back once everything is good and it's going to go into the arms of our healthcare workers. So that's really exciting. And that was kind of the, the main thrust of this of this family meeting. There's also a bunch more on the way, which I didn't realize. So hmm. just looking at some of the numbers here, there's 500,000 coming in February, then another 2 million in March, another 9 million in the second quarter, so April going onwards, and then 20 million of the Pfizer vaccine is also due in the second quarter. So I'm actually quite impressed by that. Like for all the yeah. for all the, the the flack that the government got because they messed up some of the vaccine payments and all the chaos behind the <laughs> scenes, it seems like something is working and something is yeah. coming. Yeah. And so the question remains as to whether it's actually going to get to the right people and all the corruption that is potential here is, is really worrying for a lot of South Africans. But if we can get this right, it can be a really, really good start trying to get this thing under control. 
So it was a positive meeting. It really was. Mm. And uh, we've had our lowest daily cases since the beginning of December. So it seems that the second wave, we've managed to navigate our way through that. And so he did what all the South Africans were hoping for, Chad. <laughs> he got rid of those alcohol bans yeah. and allowed the wine and the beer and all the good stuff to happen. Beaches are back open. Parks are back open. So South Africa was in a very good mood. I mean, all South Africans, except for Barry. Barry wasn't on that list because <laughs> if you haven't listened to all of our episodes, our extensive catalog, I mean, 64 episodes, my gosh, uh, but Barry doesn't drink. Um, so, I mean, you obviously enjoy being around people who are jolly, I guess, uh, but, you know, just, just decide not to, to drink for yourself. Um, but you're right. I mean, that's such great news, uh, such great news in terms of those vaccine numbers, lots of private negotiations as well. I mean, there's a sizable donation as well from MTN. Um, and we mm. continue to talk about the role of the private sector in kind of bailing out the country, if you'd like, um, which which is positive. And I wonder if any other corporates are going to follow by their lead after that kind of announcement and that kind of advertising by the president. I thought it was very bold and it's very clever from Cyril's perspective because mm. it really does put the ball in the courts of these other big corporates. And like you say, we've, we've chatted in the past about South Africa's financial situation. The government just doesn't have the money. It really does not have the resources to do this sort of rollout. And so we do need our private sector to step up. And so MTN, you know, I've got a lot of cool free press for them, um, really kind of got into the hearts of us South Africans. And hopefully we see lots more of that coming forward as companies kind of step forward. I, I'm looking towards the medical aids. I want, I'm assuming discoveries in a couple of something at some stage and some of the bigger medical aids here and we'll see what they do for their for their clientele um, but we actually need donations for the poorest of the poor and people in the rural areas yeah. like that's where the vaccines really need to get to and the logistics of making that happen requires money it requires resources so we'll have to see what happens um, at the moment we'll, we're going to give to the healthcare workers first and get them tip top so they can take care of everybody yeah. and then uh, I actually registered for my vaccine today so you go no into ways. the online portal you register very very easy very quickly okay. And then when you become eligible, then they'll open up an appointment booking system where you can go and book for your vaccine. So I'm probably still months away, but at least I'm on the system, Chad. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I don't know when I would get to that point in the queue because at the moment they're they're specifically doing it in age bands. And even though I know you you guys are probably going to take the same approach, um, for us there's nowhere that you can you know sign up or, or put your name down because <laughs> obviously as we know, not everyone is super keen to to take it this thing and obviously yeah. there's so many different varieties of vaccines as well um you know did you get an option of which one to pick or was it kind of just whatever you guys want to give me yeah there's no options the <laughs> sign-up process was very basic cool. it was basically your id number and where you live that's pretty much all they asked for yeah. um, and so i don't think you can have a choice i think it's going to be depending on what is available and kind of what decisions they make based on ages and whatnot um, and i think what was interesting for me was cyril made it very clear that you weren't going to be forced to take the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was a lot of misinformation going around WhatsApp groups and, and, and informal forums saying that this yeah. was going to become mandatory. And if you wanted to travel, if you wanted to, to go to work or any of these things, you're going to have to take the vaccine. And of course, the anti-vaxxers were all over this and were very upset about it. Um, and so he made it very clear that this is an optional thing that you can sign up for it if you want, but no one is going to force you to take this vaccine. But what we do need is we need about 60 to 70% of people to do it in order to get to that, that hallowed herd immunity that everyone is talking about. So I'm really hoping and I'm trying to, in my own little way, kind of push the vaccine yeah. and hopefully <laughs> people are going to take it um, because I think it is our only tool, our only weapon to kind of get the world back to the way it should be. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, good on you, Barry, for, for putting your name down on that list. Uh, just setting a good across the pond example. <laughs> I like it. I really like it. Um, but I mean, just in terms of, un, you know, just wrapping up on those two announcements, I think the, the positive thing is that both the UK and South Africa seem to be past the current peak, um, which is very promising news. And of course, in South Africa's case, uh, winter's just around the corner, as the, the Game of Thrones people would say. Winter's coming. <laughs> winter is coming, Chad. It's been a very cold week, actually. It's felt okay. very much like London this last week. It's rained the whole week. It's been chilly. And it's beginning of February, so that makes no sense. So, yeah, I think winter is definitely coming. And we need to make sure we have a handle on things before we get to that stage. So, yeah, very positive mood this side. Let's see if it lasts. Let's see if we can figure out the distribution of these things and hopefully get them in as many arms and as possible very quickly. Yeah, completely agreed. So the next thing we want to chat about this past week um, is 
quite a big, quite a big thing. Uh, that is the Amazon CEO and co-founder Jeff Bezos actually stepping down uh, as CEO and uh, kind of passing the reins over to you know his other co-founder. As we know, they obviously you know started out as a as a bookstore, and uh, ultimately you know Amazon's journey is you know has been a wonderful journey to follow. So what do you make of it? I mean, as we know, there's there's quite a big race to the moon. It seems anyone. Uh, with with money at the moment is trying to get there and uh, I think you know Bezos at this point uh, just putting his uh, you know fork in the ground and uh, giving <laughs> you know giving Elon Musk uh, a, a run and Richard Branson of course a run for the money I think everyone was quite surprised myself included because there wasn't really a build-up to this no one really thought it was coming Amazon has just released amazing results they had a 44% increase in profit in the last quarter Chad 44% on a company at that scale is unheard of and so on the back of this he's obviously retiring on top he's obviously getting out of the game while he's still the the king of the castle Um, but yeah a really amazing story I think he's been there for 25 years I think that's been the journey Um, and when he started like I didn't realize that he was basically a 29 or 28 year old uh, guy who didn't have much going for him he kind of in a corporate world that wasn't really enjoying it he was kind of a bum he was alcoholic of some sort and he was not a very driven ambitious kind of person you would think becoming the ceo and apparently his dad gave him an ultimatum saying listen sort your shit out basically and he kind of turned his life around and like you say he realized the power of the internet he realized what this could mean and started by selling books and has now built one of the most successful companies of all time and i I think one of the most influential companies of all time and amazon is just absolute behemoth Mm. and so to step down in his prime like you say there must have been a reason and everyone is talking about it like you say is to take on elon and try and see if he can take his blue origin rockets to the moon um, and so I think it's very exciting for the space race. For anyone who's interested in space exploration, it's going to be really cool to see. And if he's going to put the same sort of verve and vigor and effort into it that he did to Amazon, then we're in for a hell of a race. And so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the space race quickly, Barry. I mean, because I I kind of don't understand it on a private uh, perspective. What is the fuss all about? Why is everyone trying to uh, get get their race to to space the quickest? And just before you answer that question, uh, just a, a quick uh, just recognition of our very first comment, Barry, and that is uh, from from Robin Stock, uh, just saying that she's so excited that the podcast is live. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, definitely, definitely appreciate having you here. So. Tell me, tell me about that, Barry. What is it about uh, the, this race to space and what it'll mean for humanity going forward? There's so much to unpack here, Chad. I, I think in, in the short term, the race is because there's huge amounts of money to be made in satellites, right? If you think about every single piece of technology these days, it, it relies on GPS, it relies on the internet, it relies on this worldwide communication. And so we are putting satellites into the atmosphere at a rate of knots. And at the moment, SpaceX have, hold, have held the monopoly over that. They've been putting up hundreds and hundreds of satellites with every single one of their missions. And so there's lots of money to be made in the short term, and that's kind of the, the short-term economic economic interest. Beyond that, the more medium-term stuff is that what we don't realize is that so much of our technology today has come as a byproduct of advanced space exploration. So, for example, in 1969, we went to the moon and and it was all kind of an ego contest against Russia, right? It was like, who's going to get there first? Even though we didn't realize it at the time, all the pressure of trying to build a rocket that goes to the moon and lands on the moon developed a whole bunch of ancillary technologies that we use in our day-to-day lives. So you just don't know what a space race is going to come up with. And it's hard to predict, and that's why it's such a difficult sell, because you're spending billions and billions of dollars on this thing, not knowing what the ROI is going to be. But the idea is that the technology that comes out of that kind of sustained purpose and sustained work is going to benefit humanity for a long time going forward. Then if you look at the long-term thing, which is Elon's plan, is this idea that we're going to destroy ourselves in some way, whether it's global warming, whether it's nuclear war, whether it's pandemic, whether it's advanced AI, there's going to be some sort of existential risk to the planet. And Elon Musk wants to have a insurance policy, some sort of civilization that lives outside of earth in order to ensure that the human race continues and that we become a multi-planetary species. So that is the long-term vision. That is kind of the, the guiding star. And so for those reasons, Chad, I find the space race fascinating. I think it's well worth it. It's very human to have that sort of adventure and that sort of explorer-type life. And so we want to explore beyond our, our current uh, climate and our current horizons, and that's very exciting. 
Yeah, definitely is. Um, I mean, certainly if you have these private individuals funding or that race, and I mean, like you said, in the in the past, it was a bit of an ego race amongst countries. Now, it still is an ego race, I would argue, <laughs> uh, but among individuals. And why not? What what better way for them to, to spend their riches, I guess, uh, than, you know, in that art of exploration and hopefully discovering something that's going to unlock something for us in the future. Um, the next thing I wanted to chat about, Barry, and I'm no expert in politics. I'm no expert in Russian affairs, uh, which is why I have to start off with this disclaimer. Um, but obviously, I've just been seeing the news lately, and and I, I can't help but but bring it up and get your take on some of this stuff if you've been following it too. Uh, we're, of course, talking about Navalny, um, who is a guy that I didn't really know a heck of a lot about before. Um, someone who you know was in in the Russian government and uh, ultimately has been accused of kind of acting for the West, um, and essentially he was in Siberia last year and ultimately was was poisoned, and on the back of that he was in a coma, um, and you know at that period in time he had been there was some sort of financial uh, sort of crimes that were cast upon him. Uh, and he was on bail. And one of those bail conditions was to to actually check in wherever he was at certain checkpoints. Um, but the man was in a coma. And for whatever reason, he didn't check in. And obviously, as he's now arrived in Russia, back in Russia again, um, a, a character that's been very critical of, of Putin um, and seems to have quite a bit of following as well. Uh, but of, as he's arrived back in the, in, uh, in Russia... He's been jailed and been jailed for, for just shy of, of three years. Um, there's on the back of that been hundreds of thousands of people out on the street protesting. Um, and what, what we've seen is we've seen, you know, sort of thousands of people being detained by the government for protesting. Um, and I mean, it's this classic, this classic discussion, Barry, of, of freedom of speech, uh, you know, having a different politi political opinion and whether that's enough grounds to land yourself in jail. Um, you know, this dictatorship that everyone is, is, is kind of scared of, people don't want to talk about it. Even me speaking right now, I'm walking on eggshells. <laughs> um, and, you know, nothing can come good of this kind of regime. Yeah, Chad, it's a really difficult one. And I also want to echo your comments that I have. I don't know enough about mm. this to, I know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and that's always a, a worrying thing. But like you say, he, he's one of the only people who has kind of stood up and said something about Putin um, from an inside source. Like, as, as we know, it's a dark, dark place, Russia. Yeah. It really is. And Putin holds this incredible iron fist across the whole country. And he has so much power and so much wealth and so much control that he can silence anyone that speaks up against him. So for, for this guy to kind of speak up in the way that he did, and he, he made videos and spoke very openly about some of the things that he's worried about when it comes to Putin, is, is something we haven't seen in a long time. And then to, like you say, voluntarily get on a plane and fly back to Russia, yeah. we knew that he wasn't yeah. going to be greeted with like a handshake and a, and a pat on the back, right? Um, and so I think it's a fascinating story. I, I don't know if this is a weakening of Putin's position. So the protests obviously are, are a sign, but unfortunately, like he's just got so much power that it's going to take something monumental to kind of get in the way of that. And he controls so much of Russia and Russian politics at the moment. So I don't know what's going to come of this. I think it's it's very brave of this guy. It's almost like a heroic kind of martyr-like uh, behavior. Um, he's going to be jailed for under three years. Who knows if he comes out alive, to be honest. That's that's the truth of the matter, right? And so if he's been poisoned before, who knows what's going to happen in that in that prison. So yeah, it, it's kind of crazy to me that Russia still exists today. It's almost like the North Korea thing. It's kind of crazy yeah. that in 2021, there's still places in the world that are completely dominated by these dictators that have full control and full power and uh, we just are kind of powerless as a world to go after them because if they have nuclear weapons if, if there's that mutually assured destruction and it's very very hard to turn those regimes around um so yeah i'm i'm excited i'm not excited i'm interested to see what's going to happen with this case um i think that putin obviously is going to try and uh, kind of quell these these protests and quell these these uh, uprisings in a way um, but I just don't think there's enough for him to lose any sleep just yet. Yeah, I, I think I take the same stance as that, Barry. I mean, there was a referendum last year, and I guess if you look at the fine print, he's, he's kind of secured himself uh, his tenure for, 
for another little while to come. Um, so so certainly not. I mean, he's he doesn't seem to be the the type of character to follow out. Uh, you know, the narrative that's going on around social media. I mean, a lot of this crowd seems to be the younger generation out there on the streets protesting. Um, so, you know, it is it is interesting. Um, the one thing I did want to mark is obviously there's been condemnation of, of this arrest uh, from, from the rest of the world. So we've seen Emmanuel Macron from France, Boris Johnson in the UK, and, and obviously the US as well, putting out statements condemning this, uh, you know, this, this kind of arrest. Um, so, so that is interesting. We'll have to see whether there's any uh, kind of political pressure put on on Russia to to do anything about this particular arrest. I mean, it's probably drawn even more attention to to this guy than he would have had organically had this not happened. Um, so, I mean, I, I take that as a as a pretty interesting mark on on strategy and uh, maybe even firing you know backfiring. But that's the idea of this martyrdom, right? This idea that this whistleblower can kind of stand up and, and, and take the heat for a greater good and get more people talking about it. I think that Russia is very easy to ignore. It's very easy to not think about it and kind of push it to the side because we just don't want to deal with it. But as a world, we have to figure out like what kind of what kind of sanctions, what kind of things can you do in order to try and turn this around? Um, it's 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 very clear that Russia is has been in this position for a long, long time, and there's this cultural idea that Putin is a strong, strong leader, and he still has a lot of support. That's the crazy thing. Mm. Even in the midst of all that he's done, he still has a lot of support because he's seen as as the strong, powerful leader that's going to take Russia back to one of the world's superpowers. And so there's, there's this nostalgic kind of hope for that old USSR world where they were one of the one of the leading kind of powers in the world. And as their influences has waned and as they've kind of been beaten down by losing wars and whatnot, they've kind of lost a little bit of that 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 hardness that, that Putin brings back. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know, Chad. It really is a, a tough one. And I don't know if it's the right thing. I don't know what kind of sanctions you'd be looking for as a as a Western world, if, if anything, uh, just because those nuclear weapons just make everything so complicated. Yeah, completely agree. And and just in terms of that strong position and uh, I guess that strong, what's the word, uh, the, the way we look at Putin, um, that, that's one of the things that I guess he doesn't like about Navalny is he's kind of tarnished his image as being the guy who poisons. And if you look at obviously Russian history and and look back at all the, their various leaders and all the various uh, actions that they've they've taken, to be someone who, who poisons uh, certainly doesn't uh, infer that, that level of strength that uh, you know, perhaps the other leaders would have. It's not honourable, right? It's not. It's not like looking the guy in the face yeah. and and dealing with it man to man, and that goes against Russian culture. Russian culture is very, very aggressive and very kind of in your face and brash. And so, yeah, like you say, it it almost it almost is a little bit of a dig at him to kind of bring this up and say, listen, this is the kind of leader that you think is the strong man who's doing his own battles. But we all know that Putin has all of his people doing his dirty work for him. And he want, doesn't want that to become his image. And so, yeah, it's a fascinating study in propaganda. It's a fascinating study in kind of diplomacy and what international politics looks like in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, and I think... If, if the U.S. was in a stronger position, this would be even bigger news. And for, unfortunately, the U.S. is in its own chaos at the moment, like we've chatted about in the past. And so I don't think they're in a position to, to kind of take this as seriously as maybe we would like them to. Um, but I don't think the Russia story is over by any stretch of the imagination. No, yeah. And there's no way that Putin's leaving without a fight. So, yeah, a little bit worried about that. We'll have to watch and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's the final question of whether he... Like you say, whether he makes it out alive uh, within the three-year period, but also whether while he's in jail, they find other reasons to keep him there for longer. I mean, some of his uh, supporters are worried about whether he'll even get out at all for the rest of his life, which is quite something to think about. Um, but yeah, something certainly something to, to monitor, and I, I definitely don't think it's the end of this one as well. Shall we move on then to the next segment, Barry? Let's do it, Chad. Stuff I found interesting. So I watched a movie the other day, Chad, and it's been recommended to me about a gazillion times, and I don't know why I've never watched it, Bahas, okay. but it's a movie called Baby Driver. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Um, I've also oh. seen the, you know, seen the the trailers and been intrigued by it, but I'm keen to hear your take on it. I'm so excited to share it with you then, Chad. You have to go and watch it on Netflix immediately um, because it, it, is, it is an amazing show for anyone who loves music because the whole movie is based around the soundtrack. 
It almost feels like they picked the soundtrack first and then built the movie around the soundtrack. And kind of a, a little bit of the plot line is there's this guy, this guy, his name's Ansel Egort, I think it is. He's from the Fault in Our Stars. You know the main guy okay. from Fault in Our Stars? Okay. He's, he's the lead Maybe. character. Right. And he is a get, he's a getaway driver. So he works with these, these robbers who go and rob banks and stuff. And he is the getaway driver. And he's just like a little pale baby-faced dude. And he is just an amazing driver. And when he was a kid, he was in a car accident and got this tinnitus in his ears. So there's always a ringing in his ears. And so what he does to kind of combat that is he's always listening to music. And so the whole story is about him with headphones in all the time and how the soundtrack impacts the way he drives and impacts the way he lives and kind of colors his life. And so the music on its own is worth it's worth everything. It's an incredible soundtrack, mixing genres, mixing times, mixing decades in a way that's so native and so true to what's happening on screen. The direction and the sound design is absolutely insane. For example, in a lot of the in a lot of the, the fight scenes when they're like shooting at each other, they'll use the gunshots as the drums, which I think was amazing. Mm-hmm. So the gunshots become the rhythm in in the action scenes, and it it pulls you in. I felt myself kind of pushing forward onto the big on the on the front of my seat because this music was so compelling and so interesting. Um, I just think it was an absolutely amazing movie. The acting was great. Jamie Foxx is amazing, and it's this. Um, it really is a really cool story. And I think for anyone who loves music and appreciates music, this is like a movie for musicians, Chad. It sounds awesome. I mean, after building it up like that, Barry, I don't know how I can't just go and watch it. Maybe even tonight. <laughs> um, but but you're right. The music is obviously absolutely core. And I guess it's when we talk about the series that I brought up a little while ago, Little Voice, um, which again, just for the score alone, I'd say, you know, go and watch it. And it is, it's so powerful. But as a metaphor, just in terms of that story of how having music on constantly can be the soundtrack to your life. Um I, th- I kind of think in, in a weird way that is the case with all of us. And we all know the incredibly powerful, uh, well, just superpower of music to cast you back to an exact moment in time, an exact emotion you were feeling. Um, and, and obviously there's there's music for every kind of feeling, which is why, you know, for me, it's it's one of the greatest gifts that we have is music. And uh, I, I certainly want to go and watch it out, Barry. I mean, I've always been shocked at how a, a trailer can never like grab my attention or, or not get me across that line of of that clickbait line or, or watch bait line or whatever you want to call it um <laughs> but hearing these kind of reviews i certainly do want to go and check it out yeah I, I love your point there about this music being the soundtrack to our life i think it is so true i was having a chat with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about what is the greatest human invention? Like if you had to think about all of humanity, what is the greatest invention? Mm. And some people are like, maybe it's fires, maybe it's the internet, maybe it's all these things. And the one answer I really loved was music because yeah. music is this thing that humanity has come up with to kind of to encapsulate memory and to tell stories and to connect with each other. And it's it's the universal language, right? You can pick up a guitar, pick up a saxophone. That music transcends language, barriers, cultures, etc. It's really, really powerful stuff. And so I think for all of us, like the music we choose to listen to says something about us. It's like a self-expression. Even yeah. if you don't make music yourself, just the, the playlist you listen to and the artist you love is an expression of who you are. And it's such a wonderful movie to kind of celebrate that. And it, it's weird because it celebrates it in this very like action, like like very hectic, like drama movie. It's not like a happy movie by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but the music is the soundtrack. And I just think it's so wonderful. So if you are a musician, you love music, baby driver it's world class love it love it love it uh, need to go and check it out i mean while we're talking about this while we're talking about music um i, I just want to float an idea to everyone out there listening um, and that is actually something that i've been doing with my colleagues uh, we've, we've kind of just started out this new initiative and that is to amongst the group so even if that is you and your friends create a shared playlist on spotify i think they call it a collaborative playlist and once a week uh, kind of assign a quota of songs that everyone can add to the playlist. So the way we've done it is is two songs per person. And whatever whatever it is you're listening to in that week or what, you know, even if you just kind of go back to stuff you used to listen to back in the day, the idea here is to share music tastes with, with your friends and bring up stuff that people would have never come across otherwise. Uh, obviously, if you're Barry's friend, you would have heard about Jacob Collier next, <laughs> last year. So... You know, you already know about him, 
but but it's, it's it's actually amazing i mean some of the stuff that i've even discovered just in one week of doing this is is really cool and it's kind of thrown me down some rabbit holes that i probably otherwise wouldn't have come across I love that idea. It kind of reminds me, you know, those road trips, Chad, where you got four people in the car and you're passing around the orcs chord every yeah, song and yeah, everyone's playing exactly. one of these. That, that's what it, that's what it reminds me of. Those moments of being able to share that music. And there's something so powerful about that. And we, we've chatted in the past about how these algorithms kind of dictate to us what music we listen to. And we don't get that serendipity anymore. We don't mm, get that idea yeah. of, well, here's an album I'm going to go and find. Or my, or my friend's iPod, I found like a cool new song. And so, exactly. yeah, I think trying to recreate that is really, really cool. So I love that idea. I need I need to get in some of these groups, Chad. Hit me <laughs> up, man. Pick me up. I mean, it's a work group, Barry. So yeah, I think I'll draw the line there. But we can create our own. We definitely can create our own. Uh, you know, m- maybe on that that poker group that we had going a little while back. Maybe, maybe extend, maybe extend the offer there. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. We must we chat to the guys and see if we can get some of this going. If you're listening right now and you're keen to join in a music group, let us know. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe across the pond has one one day. Yeah, that could be kind of cool. And also, if you're listening in right now, I know we have got a couple of people tuned in live. Um, if you throw us a question or something that's on your mind or whatever the case is, just throw it in the comments. We'll kind of accumulate it. And right at the end, it's been a while since we've had our What's On Your Mind segment, but it would be awesome to actually uh, have some more questions or some extra talking points while people are listening live. Don't you think, Barry? Definitely. Please do let us know your thoughts and your comments and your ideas. We love hearing from you. So if you're watching live right now, hit us up. Absolutely. So last week, I think it's been a couple of weeks now, we've been kind of briefly talking about Barry and while we're talking about live, this idea of uh, of Clubhouse, this new social media platform that we actually, we actually managed to work our way into this week. And I only say <laughs> we because... I kind of, I kind of forced you in a way, Barry, by uh, on camera live getting your verbal and uh, you know your, your actual permission to to secure me an invite when you do finally get your foot in the door. Oh yeah! If if you haven't watched episode sixty-two, Chad really negotiated very well to create this pact between us, yep. where if we got one of the invites, we'd invite the other person. So for those who don't know, Clubhouse is this app where you do these drop-in audio conversations. So basically, you kind of go into the app, and there's a bunch of conversations going on right now in live, real time. They aren't recorded, they aren't saved, any of that, and you can kind of jump in and listen to really, really cool people talk about various things. And it's been very exclusive. You can only get in through an invite. And so we were kind of desperately saying, how can we get an invite, Chad? And then out of nowhere, a good friend of mine, a guy named Tabi, really came through for me and invited me. And then I had two invites. And because I'd been forced on across the <laughs> pond to give Chad an invite, I just had to let him in. So we are now both on Clubhouse. And you were even in your first conversation yesterday, Chad. Tell us about that. I was. I mean, when, I, when, I, when you sent me the invite, uh, just because I didn't want it getting lost in the web, I immediately signed up, logged in, created my profile, but didn't do a bio, like pretty much haphazardly logged in. Obviously, at some future point in time when I had the time to revisit it and immerse myself in the world. But now that I have, and now that I've actually had a chance to see what Clubhouse is all about, and I mean, let's face it, it's a pretty basic social media platform. Like you say, there are just rooms, which are for all intents and purposes, chat rooms, but instead of typing, you're talking. Um, And it's just rooms. There's no video. It's only audio. And it's basically split up in such a way that you've got like a panel of people uh, who who are at the top. You've got uh, the next seg- segment of, of guests who are tuned in live, but are, are kind of friends of the, or, or followed by the panelists. And then right at the bottom, you've got the rest of the audience. And if anyone in the audience has something to say, you just tap a button that effectively raises your hand. And one of the panelists can then pull your board and, you know, make you a speaker. And so last night I was tuned in and uh, just had a look, you know, I, I kind of searched a few people, started following a couple of people I'm, I'm keen on. Obviously, we've spoken about, Barry, the, the current list of people that are up there right now, uh, you've got a lot of kind of higher profile type people, people that it would be hard to reach on Instagram or on YouTube or on Twitter because they've got hundreds of thousands of followers. Honestly, this panel that I was talking on last night, um, and, and I, I spent, you know, I spent like 10, 15 minutes being on the panel bouncing off rather relaxed atmosphere which is so great uh, was with all of these people who um you know, had like hundreds of thousands of followers and the specific room that i was in is obviously key to one of my interests which is fujifilm 
Um, so it was basically just a group dedicated to talking about Fujifilm going down as far down the rabbit hole as you want, anything <laughs> you want to talk about, really. Um, and, you know, one of the guys is a guy I've been following on YouTube for quite some time, uh, Reggie, Reggie B. Uh, so it was really quite great getting access to all these people that, like I said, you otherwise would really struggle to have access to. Um, and, and because of the fact that it's so basic, because of the fact that it's only audio, what you have is while you're busy talking, people are searching your profile, they're going onto your Instagram page, they're, they're looking at your stuff. Um, and so on the back of that, what you have is you have these wonderful conversations where someone will be speaking and, uh, you know, the, the guy who's on the panel or is a moderator who, like like we said, I mean, in this case was like a global ambassador for, for Fujifilm. We kind of just pipe up to someone and say, wow, an amazing feat. You've got such cool photos. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> and so it's, it's, I just think it's going to present so many more opportunities to a whole bunch of people. I mean, now's certainly the time to, to get involved in it. Um, as a platform on its own, I'm very optimistic about it. I think about uh, Carl Newport and that book that we uh, chat about, Digital Minimalism. To me, it doesn't feel like it fits in that category. What it is giving you is high-quality you know, visual like audio interaction, uh, where you actually are able to listen to to listen to your verbal cues, and uh, you know, it, it's it's not a matter of hiding behind a screen and, and and typing out whatever it is that you want to type. You're getting involved in real time, and you're in a group of people. It feels a lot more social to me than the social media platforms we've been living off for the last couple of years. I agree with you there. I think I'm very bullish on this and it takes a bit of time to get used to. When I first went on the app, it was a little bit confusing as to what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, what is the idea? Um, it takes a while to get used to, but once you get into one of those conversations and you see how powerful it can be, it really is a big deal. And like you said, the networking opportunities, if you use this app well, are incredible. Yeah. If you are able to get into some good conversations and meet some of these people, it really, really is quite a powerful thing. One of the biggest conversations that happened on the app so far was our good old friend Elon Musk about a week ago was on <laughs> okay. there with the, the, the CEO of Robinhood talking about all the GameStop saga. Nice. So that was a huge deal for Clubhouse and they had like hundreds of thousands of people listening to that conversation. There were I think four or five overflow rooms because they couldn't all fit in the main wow. room and all sorts of stuff. So that was kind of the biggest conversation so far. But Chad, one of the one of the concerns that some people are bringing up is that what is going to happen as it starts to grow and there's yep. more and more people on the app. So I, right at the beginning, it's been very exclusive, very, very like high profile people and you've had to get an invite to get in. But eventually as they grow, it's going to get more and more people on the app. Do you think it's going to dilute the experience in any way? And what do you think about the future of it as we start to get millions and eventually tens of millions of people on this app? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I think it will certainly dilute the experience. I mean, I think the, the, the job here is having a good moderation team because ultimately you yes. have to, in, in some way, you have to kind of vet the person you're bringing up onto the panel. If you've got, if, if you do grow at scale and you do suddenly have like thousands of people in the room, because at the moment, I mean, the room I was in last night had, had less than 30 people. Uh, like I said, 30 high profile people, but less than 30 people. And uh, so when you do grow at scale, it becomes more important for the moderator to really focus quite carefully at who they are bringing aboard and ultimately whether that person is respectful, whether that person uh, is kind of within the same spirit as the group that they've created. Uh, but, you know, on, on for the most part, on the stuff that I've kind of listened into, the, the culture seems really relaxed. It seems really respectful. Um, the, you know, if there is a disagreement, people are really quite civil about it. And at the moment... Maybe it's just the the kind of the people who are in there at the moment, but it, it feels to me like a very positive place for for people to just go in and learn, like lots of tip sharing, lots of learning, uh, you know, up upskilling yourself in whatever field it is. Um, and I think the other thing that just to speak a little bit, Barry, is the reason why they are doing this as an invite only basis is is not actually at what I thought it was, which was to kind of build up this hype or to kind of become uh, this coveted thing that you're lucky to be a part of. And, and that's not it at all. They're doing it to make sure that the servers can handle the amount of people. Um, and that's why they're very, and I think it's quite smart, very slowly growing up and make, obviously making sure that there's no downtime, these chats can happen in real time and you know all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's a good strategy uh, just in terms of making sure it's a stable platform, which is really important. 
I hear you, but at the same time, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They could very okay. easily raise a couple more billion dollars and get a couple more servers. I, I, I honestly do think it is a growth strategy. Okay. Um, and I think it's brilliant because it has caused the kind of hype. I mean, we were excited about it. We had FOMO and we kind of yeah. halfway across the world in South Africa and in London, right? <laughs> and so what started as a Silicon Valley type thing is now growing across the world. But I agree with you completely. There's so much potential here for real conversation. I've always been on the belief that the way we make progress as a society and as people is through conversation. Hmm. It's not through tweets. It's not through like face shouting at each other on Facebook. It's genuine conversation when you go back and forth about an idea or a topic or something you believe in. And you can clarify what you think and kind of talk to someone and get other perspectives. And this ability to drop in on conversations is almost like this podcasting boom that we've seen. Yeah. I feel so close to the podcasters that I listen to on a regular basis. I feel like they're my best friends yeah. because they live with me in these airports all the time, right? But they don't know me at all. This gives an opportunity to interact with those people and have two-way conversations that are really meaningful. And so I'm very bullish on it. I really want to spend some more time. I do think it can be a time suck. I can see the yeah. temptation to yeah. spend a lot of time there. Sure. So you've got to manage that. But otherwise, as long as you pick your, your feed carefully and you're jumping in the conversations that really matter to you, I think it's really exciting. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing around with it more, getting into more of these rooms and seeing what's happening. Yeah, and then the other thing, I guess, is that the people who are speaking, the, the people who do currently have hundreds of thousands of followers on whatever platform, what are they getting from it? What are they getting from being so generous with their time? Because they do spend hours in each of these rooms uh, just talking to the average man on the street. So how do you think about that? Uh, and I guess the, the route to monetization for this platform, all of that kind of stuff. How do you think about what these moderators and room creators are actually getting from this? Or do you think it is a genuine community, sense of community, uh, giving back that kind of stuff? That's the reason why they're doing it. I think it's a mix. I, I do think there is some altruistic kind of idea of kind of getting giving back to the community a bit and sharing some of the stuff they've learned. We also can't deny the impact that the pandemic is having on giving these people the time to sit around in these rooms. I wonder what their success would have been like if we were in normal times where everyone didn't have all this time sitting at home, right, and weren't able to get out and about. So those are two two factors. But I think the third factor is that there's definitely a social status part of this this app. Hmm. This idea of having the moderators, like you say, and then the next kind of level and then the rest of the audience, there is this idea that you're on a stage. And so instead of going and speaking at a conference or speaking at some sort of big event to thousands and thousands of people, you can achieve the same thing from your bedroom in a much more intimate way. Yeah. And so they built the app in a, in a really clever way that really pushes that status way up. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing is, and that's the reason Elon is getting on there because he can really share his message with lots and lots of people and kind of cement his claim as one of those people who's worth listening to. And the idea, I think, is this then siphon that audience into your Instagram, your website, your tweets, all of that other stuff going forward. Yeah. But building that brand is so, so important. But for someone like us, you can go in there now and kind of, we can build our own brand. I mean, Tabi, my friend, has been doing really well. has been hosting cool. some amazing conversations so far. Awesome. And so if you are interesting and, and, and you, you have this thing, but you maybe weren't going to become a YouTuber because you were kind of worried about the editing piece, or you weren't going to become a public speaker because you got a little bit of fright in that respect, you maybe you're writing, it takes too much time to write. This is a brand new medium of communication. And mm. I think we're going to see superstars come out of this who are amazing at articulating their thoughts, who are amazing at kind of sharing their stories in an audio fashion without necessarily all the production value of the fancy lights and cameras and all that stuff. And so I think we're going to start to see people kind of rise up with these new clubhouse stars in the same way we've seen all of the other platforms generate new stars that are able to natively understand the way the content works on the yep. platform. Yeah, I completely agree. And you're right. It's it's at this early stage of a platform, that's the time to get involved. If you think about YouTube, if you think about Instagram, TikTok even, it's those few who were there in the early days when this thing actually skyrocketed. Um, but obviously the people who were still producing really good content, but in the early days, um, as opposed to trying to grow your Instagram feed now we know how impossible it is um, and you know the algorithms keep changing all of this kind of stuff um, so I agree I think now's the, the the great time to get involved and it's I'm just wondering Barry when are we going to create our, our own across the pond type room and start getting some cool people in there it has to be soon, Chad. It has to be soon. I was, I was chatting to you the other day saying we need to sort this out. So yeah. I think we should give it some thoughts, find out which of our people we think we can get involved there and uh, start having some really good 
multi-person across the pond to have conversations there on Clubhouse. Completely agree. Let's then move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. Looking ahead, as we talk about uh, this digital world that we are in, Barry, and all of these various social networks, the ever more important every single day, this idea of trolling and giving people who are frustrated in the rest of their life the power to sit behind a screen and really unleash the most terrible emotions out into the rest of the world. Um, I mean, I got a, I actually got a comment uh, two nights ago on my my one YouTube channel. I've I've hardly got any followers, subscribers, or anything like that. But I, I got this comment that said, "This guy is such an asshole for even thinking of doing this video." And sure. you know, we've we've heard about trolling, we've heard about all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's true. I mean, every single little comment does play on you, and you can you can build up this hard exterior, and you can say that it doesn't. But, uh, I mean, there's no doubt that something pierces through when someone leaves a terrible comment. So, this idea of trolling and the importance of trolling. I mean, Barry, you've got a policy that you just don't read the comments. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, th- I think it's a much healthier way to do it, Chad, <laughs> is that it just doesn't even matter. Because if you think about it, Chad, like the kind of people who sit all day and watch YouTube videos and leave these sorts of comments, like it's unfortunately because in their own lives, things maybe haven't gone to plan and they're kind of projecting a lot of this their yeah. stuff on other people. Yeah. Like if you don't like the video, sure, but there's no need to say anything about it. Just go to another video. YouTube yeah. has got yeah. plenty of stuff for you to watch. There's no problem in, in that respect. <laughs> and so this, this idea of I'm going to go and I'm going to re- release something really nasty is a a terrible part of the internet and a lot of the reason why people get the anxiety and the fear and the kind of the the negative feelings they get from sharing something online anyone who shared something online knows the courage that it takes to put yourself out there right to film a video and put your put your word out there and kind of make it public takes a lot of courage and so people who, who don't do that don't understand what it's like to do that it's very easy to throw stones and kind of say oh i didn't like that and this is the reason and so yeah it's a shame but unfortunately it's part of the internet I think that for, for trolls, it's almost one of those things where there's a lot of psychological research that shows that one comment that's negative will mean more to you than 100 comments that are positive, right? Because 100%. you're going to focus on the one thing that was negative. 100%. And, that's yeah. something, and that's something we can all work on is this idea that we don't have to take that on board. If there's 100 comments that are positive and there's one negative, can we try and focus on the 100 com- positive? Because that's who you're actually making the video for. Sure. But it's easier said than done, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, And I I guess as my journey unfolds, and and hopefully there's a lot of growth to come, uh, and hopefully there's more of those comments, because I mean, those comments are part of the process. You can't grow without Mm. them. Um, And I've actually even seen the the most amazing sort of kindness on some of the people who have followed me and have become kind of loyal subscribers, actually like replying back on my behalf in the comments and kind of attacking these people on my behalf. (laughs) And that's kind of cool. Um, But but the reason why I put this in looking ahead, Barry, and the reason why I actually wanted to talk about it today is, is how we deal with trolling as the internet becomes more and more of a part of our day-to-day lives. I mean, just this idea of even live streaming. I mean, somebody could drop us a comment right now, Barry, that just throws us completely <laughs> off of our episode. Uh, I mean, it's really, it's very possible. Um, so how, how do we deal with this in the future? And a few weeks ago, I think it was even the late part of last year, Australia announced some legislation. Uh, and I only actually came across it this past week, but I was quite fascinated about it. I think it's currently under public consultation, uh, which, which is good. Uh, just make sure that everyone's happy with this legislation being released in the first place. But it's a global first, and I think this is what's key to mention, is it's legislation that will ultimately allow fines to be dealt out up to... Hun- sorry, up to... $110,000 for individuals, for an individual. That's a staggering amount of money for someone who is sitting behind their computer, firing out all of these things with the thought that they're anonymous, with the thought that they, you know, they're using some arbitrary email address or whatever the case is, no one's going to track them. Uh, but the truth is there's so many digital signatures that you leave behind every time you do anything online uh, that it is possible. And then for corporations or, or companies uh, who 
you know, I don't know, I don't know how it would happen, but have maybe employees that go rogue or whatever the case is, fines of up to $500,000 Australian dollars, uh, which which is quite staggering. And uh, I mean, I'm quite chuffed to see this type of regi- type of uh, reg- regulation. Yeah, it's interesting because it brings up the same debate that we've been having in the U.S. around the Trump stuff. Is that what is what is the freedom of speech argument in this in this debate, right? So obviously we, we want to root out this this nonsense. We want to get rid of this sort of really really vitriolic um, rhetoric online, and and it's important for all the platforms. They do everything they can to kind of pull that down because it really is a a stain on what otherwise could be a really cool community building moment. But at the same time, it's like when you when you start making these sorts of laws and you're trying to enforce them, you have to have someone to enforce them. And you've got to have someone to decide what is okay and what isn't okay. What is constructive criticism yeah. versus what is like genuine hate towards someone? And in a lot of cases, it is quite obvious. In a lot of cases, you can make those calls. But the moment a law like this comes out, there's going to be all this discussion around like who is who is the watcher, who is the person who's going to be doing this, um, and what kind of what kind of right do they have to to start to to create this what is in effect censorship? It, yeah. it is an in, in effect censorship, right? And so yeah, it's such a difficult one because I I I understand what they're trying to do, and I think it's the right intention and the right we want to root this out of our society but it's so difficult to do when you when you want to uphold freedom of speech in all its places um so yeah i, I have conflicting feelings about it yeah. i mean the finding part of it like you say is in effect censorship but part of this uh, reg- regulation is actually censorship so i think the, the powers that be and i don't know how exactly it works but there's also part uh, part of this um, regulation that allows for whatever this body is or whoever it is that that reports it or whatever the case is uh, but you have to remove a piece of content that is reported within 24 hours and i think that where it stands currently is is 48 hours so this is this is drastically reducing that uh, because we know how troubling fake news or how troubling uh, the spreading of, in, of misinformation can be. So it, it certainly gives that power. But you're so right in terms of assigning, you know, what degree of, of trolling is sufficient to deal out what kind of fine. Um, that is that is a gray line. And uh, ultimately, everyone gets triggered off by completely different things. I mean, typically, adults will be have a, a bit of a harder shell than, than, you know, minors or whatever the case is. But Ultimately, everyone still has a very different position and, uh, you know, how you handle something, there's no real right answer. Mm. And and what is satire to one person might be a, a terrible insult to another person. So it's so hard to draw lines in the sand here. And I think another important thing to think about is that how difficult it is to enforce this in isolation. If you're just Australia and you're trying to enforce it in just Australia, the internet is global, right? Mm. Those comments and, the, and those the, those trolling are coming from everywhere. So how then are you going to enforce this on a major scale without cooperation from yeah. all over the place? Yeah. And we've seen the same discussion in the tax thing as to whether where these global companies get taxed when they're offering these digital platforms that can exist anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, there's lots to, to dig into in this kind of topic. I think that we do have to tackle this as a society because it is leading to a lot of depression and anxiety and a lot of mental problems within the younger generation we've seen kind of the impact it's had on young girls who are or think they have to be absolutely perfect on Instagram all the time in, in case they get the hate and the, the ritual we're talking about so lots of work to do here Chad but I, I think a law is a, a very bold step and I think it's going to be faced with a lot of criticism just because of the the nature of censorship that it implies whether or not it actually is going to be the case yeah it's certainly fascinating I mean I do think it's a good step, though, because trolls, you know, trolls have no place in my mind. Uh, I mean, people who who are not there for constructive uh, opinions, but people who literally just cast shade on those who are, are making an effort, those who are putting stuff out there into the world that can affect people in the most profound ways, can better people's lives. Uh, but just because... Those people are going through stuff in their own lives or like you say, there's some other stuff going on behind the scenes. They just cast a shade and, you know, it's just not constructive and there's there's nothing good that can come of it. So very interesting, uh, both sides of the coin. Uh, always love, <laughs> love, uh, you know, tackling this stuff with you, Barry. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've timed this again pretty impeccably. Uh, <laughs> our live stream is kind of sitting on one hour and four minutes. I don't 
currently yeah. see any uh, comments or questions that we can tackle in a what's on your mind segment. But I'm sure as we do this more and more, um, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly start to, to reach a bit you know, higher numbers and, and start to engage a bit more with people who tune in. Exactly. We're in the beginning stage of this live experiment. We only kind of told people about half an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things where we're figuring out as we go along. And uh, if you are watching this right now, um, please do join us for the next live session. We'd yes. love to hear your thoughts and your, and your ideas um, because we really want this to become more of a community. We've thought a lot about community mm -hmm. building in the past. And 64 episodes in, we think it's time to start building that community more proactively. So whether it's on Clubhouse, whether it's here on the show, whether it's on social media, please reach out. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear absolutely and yeah just a, a quick uh, thanks to uh john m who just left us a comment saying well done thank you very much uh it certainly is appreciated and I, I think i think we are we are we are kind of warming up to this idea of live we, we make a, certainly a whole lot less errors than we do in the old I'm way amazed. of doing things <laughs> i'm amazed chad it's amazing what some stakes can do i mean it's been absolutely incredible i was very worried when we did the first live i was like oh boy if people were to see the amount of bloopers that we used to make Somehow this is working out. So good for us, Chad. Pat on the back to ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much again for tuning in. It, may, it means the world to us. It really does. And uh, for, for dropping those comments, uh, we really do appreciate it. Uh, if you are kind of new here and you're still joining this community, do go and check us out on all of our other social media. So we're on Twitter at across underscore podcast. You know what, Barry? I need to get some overlays here to kind of throw it on so, <laughs> so people can actually see it next week. Next week we'll yeah, be a bit yeah, more organized. Yeah. Uh, at, <laughs> at across underscore podcast on twitter instagram we are at across the pondcast and on facebook we're across the pond podcast that's all for today and we will be back hopefully with some more regularly scheduled uh programming uh you know with the with the schedule that everyone can kind of tune in live every single time uh, but we'll be back next week pond, pond across the